This week, we begin in Redwater, Texas, where a mother and her two young children are brutally murdered by the one person nobody ever expected. We then head south to Houston, where senseless gang violence ends a young woman's life far too soon. Welcome to episode 28 of Texas 1031. Cassie's hitting her leg, if you can hear that. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah, I just got a tattoo. And as you all should know, you cannot scratch them. So you're going to hear that. And I'm scratched mine. Oh, God. My sister told me that she peeled hers. Oh, my God. I was no, like, I didn't no. do that. I scratched mine in my sleep. That's my. Yeah. That's the death of my tattoo existence. Yep. That I just, in my sleep, it just happens. You wake I up and you're, like, to. itching it. Mm-hmm. And there's just, you know, flakes upon flakes everywhere. Yep. Super gross. Yeah. Um, my dog keeps trying to, oh, he keeps trying to lick them. And I'm like, that's, no, that's. When does that happen? Probably that's the worst thing. thing. No. Well, dogs' mouths are supposed to be cleaner than human mouths. That can't be true. He licks his butthole more than he licks I anything. I lick my butthole. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Just kidding. Sorry, Mom, again. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you all know that uh, the audio gets a little jank during my murder. You can really only hear myself speaking. Cassie kind of gets washed out. We're not really sure exactly how that happened, but it did. But after my murder, the rest of the episode sounds totally fine and normal. So just wanted to give you guys a little heads up for uh, the rest of the episode. Hey everyone, this is Cassie and Hannah. This is Texas 1031 and this is a true crime podcast. And as you should know by now, we cover lesser known murder cases that have occurred in Texas. Uh, Hannah's first this episode, but before we start, is there anything we want to recommend? Um, I didn't really plan anything, did you? I actually, I thought of one. I saw this movie over the weekend. It's cool. in theaters right now. It's called mm. Hereditary. I don't go to movies anymore. I had never heard of it. It is a, did you see The Witch? Yes. Yes. Same producer. I think same director. Fucking creepy, weird. It's amazing. 100% recommend it. Okay. So everyone go see Hereditary. Is it like a disease? Like a. That's what they. Okay. So that's what it makes you think when you watch the um, trailer. So I'm not going to say anything because it's, it's very. It's weird. Like, we literally sat in the seats in the theater, like, puzzled for a good full minute before we got up. We were like, okay, okay that just happened. I mean, The Witch was great. I want that yeah. goat as, like, my friend. Black you know? Phillip. Yeah. Phillip. He was amazing. Yeah. But it has a little bit more because, like, The Witch, it felt like there was much more that could have been done with The Witch. Definitely. And with this one, it's like, okay, they did more. Okay. There's still, so I feel like, like there a... could still have been more, but it's much better. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it's I beautiful. Guess. There you go. Oh, good. That works. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and I'm going to pre-apologize. I am very sick. I'm oh. very stuffy. I'm sorry, everybody. Okay. <laughs> everyone, I feel like everyone I know is like in shape or form of illness right now. So yep. it's okay. It's the like season change, yeah. pollen, 
Texas. Texas. Just sick of um, Texas. Before we move into the episode, we'll tell you later as well as now. Don't forget to go into our Facebook and uh, look into going to our, our uh, event at the end of the month. If you guys live in Houston or surrounding areas, please decide to go because that would be really cool. Cassie yeah. has things to say about that. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, I can't remember if I had talked about the actual beers last mm-hmm. time. I don't think they were fully hammered no, out. Correct, yeah. yeah. All right, so what beers are we going to have? So we're going to do our Rars Blonde, which is a German Helles lager, really light. Our Ugly Pug, which is a black lager or Schwartz beer, so it's for the dark beer lovers. Um, we'll have our Hefeweizen, Summertime Wheat, which is a traditional Hefeweizen since we have a lot of German heritage in our brewery. So it's not like the watered down crappy version that you get at a lot of mm-hmm. different Texas breweries. Um, and then we're going to have our IPA, um, our Dadgum IPA, Citrusy West Coast style. So bunch of good beers lots to be had and remember we're doing a toast at eight o'clock that night so if you can't get there right at seven you know just try to get there by eight grab a raw beer and your commemorative pint glass and we'll toast to fuck you jj d'angelo doesn't cost anything to go in all you have to do is if you you can sit there for free get a glass of water you don't have to drink no 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 pressure you can just come in and hang out and we're gonna and they have amazing food too so if you are hungry you can just come Eat food and, yeah, drink water. I'll I'll be eating food. We definitely 100% support Market Bar and Phonesia, and we want you there. Phonesia, faux-show. Faux-show. All right, uh, anything else business-wise? Anything that you want to go over? Oh, hey, wow, yeah, we have a new, do we want to talk about that later? What? New series? Yeah, no, let's talk about it, yeah. So we decided to do, Cassie actually decided and mentioned it to me, and we agreed to do a new series that we're going to do a three-parter. Three-parter, so three episodes coming up, end of July, beginning of August. We're going to be talking about different psychotic diseases. Mm-hmm. Mental disorders. Correct. Psychotic diseases. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one cr- way of putting it. Sure. <laughs> Mental disorders, uh, disabilities, yeah. all that kind of stuff that fall therein within the serial killer realm. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and find some cases, Texas-based and across the board-based. Yep. That we can kind of reference and then give you guys some information on them. Yeah, we really wanted to like. I think this came about like maybe four or five episodes, episodes ago. ago yeah, we were both like we don't know what to say yeah. in this case because of like we aren't doctors no. and like don't know the appropriate terminology. So we yep. felt stupid and we're like we should really delve into this. Yep. So just like our little series we did on um, different, what was it? It wasn't a series. It was an episode. Yeah, on it was the death penalty, death penalty and exonerations. Yeah. yeah, and it's so. like that was a subject that is important to know about mm-hmm. when you're talking about this subject. Yourself. Yeah, so and there's so many facets of it, so it's hard to kind of condense it. So we picked uh, w- five. Yeah, I guess let's wait till next episode to okay. tell you guys yeah. the five. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not going to tell you the ones. Yeah, but yeah, we uh, we have some topics picked out. So we're really get excited. Excited for those. They should be fun. Yeah. You can just skip your going to your psychology class right. for your summer semester. We'll learn you whatever. real good. Learn you real good. All right. So I'm first this week. Yes. Um, this was kind of a rare occasion. I actually chose a city to kind of look into and I immediately found a crazy story. Wow. Uh, crazy that murder story. So does literally does never happen. happens. I always have to go through several cities. So yes. uh, we will just go right in. So picture it. Redwater, Texas, 2011. 
This town is about 20 minutes outside of Texarkana. A house fire began outside of rural Redwater on a Wednesday morning on May 11th. The bodies of 34-year-old Amanda Doss and her two children, 11-year-old Guinevere Doss and 8-year-old Texas Johnson, were pulled from the burning home on that day. Incredibly, the parents of Amanda Doss arrived at the scene before emergency services. They were responding to a phone call from their granddaughter, Guinevere, screaming for help and were able to actually pull her body out of the house. They sustained burn injuries of their own and they had to be treated at the hospital. Unfortunately, she was already dead by the time they reached her. Uh, They watched as the house burned to the ground, knowing that their daughter and grandson were still inside. Amanda and her children were burned so badly that their injuries were not immediately evident. Uh, Gut instinct told the responding officers that these deaths were not a result of an accidental house fire, and once they started investigating the scene, what they found only furthered their suspicions. So after autopsies were performed on the bodies, they, uh, their you know, suspicions were confirmed. All three had died from violent inju- injuries inflicted prior to the fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. So each of the victims had been stabbed to death before the house was set ablaze. The fire, which was now determined to have, you know, been, you know, arson, was only set in an attempt to, you know, mislead police and cover up evidence. Unfortunately, you know, they really didn't have any suspects. Uh, everything, you know, was pretty much burned up. Like anything that was left over that they could have used was gone. Um, so after months of investigation and over $145,000 in reward money offered, they were still no closer to solving the crime. Um, even after the remains of the house were confirmed as arson and the community realized that this was no tragic accident, but a cold-blooded, brutal, triple murder, no one seemed to have any idea who could have committed such a horrid crime or why anyone would have even wanted to murder Amanda Guinevere in Texas. Um, so no one would have ever suspected who the culprit was and almost as, as shocking as the identity of the killer was, the identity of the person who turned her in was just as crazy. So investigators would come to find that the murderer and arsonist was 16-year-old Rachel Pittman and who uh, was turned into the police by her own mother. So this is a new one for me. I told her before recording, I have, I've only had really one female offender way back in the day. And otherwise, I've only had a few that have been accomplices. So this was kind of uh, interesting for me to have someone that didn't have a penis. Um, so the process of it all was actually quite simple. So <clears throat> August 2011, so over three months after the crime, Rachel confessed to her mother, Renee. Renee, who was obviously very upset, called the police, recounted her daughter's confession. Rachel then went willingly with the police to the station where she again confessed. Um, She went into telling the details about the murder um, that hadn't been made public. So that was an obvious, you know, she obviously was affiliated in some shape or form. They said that evidence found at the scene backed up her confession, including cartridge casings, a pocket knife, and hair and blood samples. So they did have a little bit of evidence, but nothing really pertaining to her because she didn't have a criminal record. Right. So she was then arrested and charged with capital murder. So we're already moving full force, right? (laughs) A potentially important and case-changing rumor, although Rachel has been the only person arrested and charged in the case, many people believe that she didn't act alone. People find it hard to believe that this was totally, you know, just solely the act of one teenage girl. They believe someone else had to be involved. 
Um, so amongst the rumors, there are stories of a mystery woman who pressured her into it, which we'll go into later. And then, um, you know, people that have threatened Rachel's family to force her into cooperation. There are stories of a failed polygraph that um, by someone else who was interrogated by police. There are stories that the prosecutor and police are aware that other people were involved, but are ignoring the fact in order to kind of wrap up the case. But I mean, you know, come on now, please don't do that. Like they would never. It's it's serve and protect, not lie and take bribes. So it's it's fine. Uh, Police, on the other hand, have stated that the evidence indicates otherwise, that Rachel Pittman, they say, acted alone when she brutally murdered Amanda Doss and her children. A detective on the case has stated that they do not expect to make any more arrests, and it doesn't appear that Rachel herself has accused anyone else of being involved or indicated, indicated to the police that she was in any way coerced to kill the Doss family. While initially um, arrested as a juvenile, which meant that her name was not released to the public, prosecutors successfully petitioned the court and Rachel Nicole Pittman, to reiterate her name, was officially charged as an adult and indicted with three counts of capital murder on February 9th, 2012. Rachel was arraigned in court on February 17th, 2012, where she pleaded not guilty to three counts of capital murder in the deaths of Amanda Guinevere in Texas. Though she is being tried as an adult, she will still be subject to special sentencing as a juvenile. That's the catch. And we'll go into that. So while an adult can face the death penalty in Texas, Rachel was not subjected to that sentencing. Instead, she faces a sentence of life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 40 years. So let's get her side of the story, shall we? Yes. According to Rachel... She uh, secreted a four to five inch wooden handled knife uh, in the waistband of her shorts and carried a two liter soda bottle filled with gasoline with her when she walked a short distance from her home on Farm to Market Road 991 to the house where Amanda and her family lived. It was about 3 a.m. May 11, 2011, when Amanda answered Rachel's knock and invited her inside, as she apparently had done many times before. First of all, 3 a.m., but okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel told investigators that she often visited Amanda and had actually been the babysitter to her children. So basically, it's like Michael Myers in reverse. The babysitter is the predator, not the prey. Uh, According to Rachel's statement, she and Amanda talked for a time before Rachel uh, got up and moved to the door uh, as if, you know, to kind of leave. But instead of leaving and heading home, Rachel fatally attacked Amanda with the kitchen knife and then used it to also kill Guinevere in Texas. After killing the family, she retrieved the plastic gasoline-filled bottle she left outside the house, poured gas on, or whatever, the liquid on all the bodies, and set the victims on fire with a lighter she had specifically brought for that purpose. Uh, As the blaze began to spread, Rachel fled through the same rear door she entered and jumped the fence as Amanda's parents, Glenn and Wanda Pruitt, were pulling up. So the Pruitts, who lived just a short distance from their daughter and grandchildren, arrived shortly before 5 a.m., so just a couple hours before she supposedly entered the home, responding to a disturbing call uh, that Wanda answered from Guinevere minutes before. Wanda heard noises in the background and shouts of, quote, Mommy, Mommy, from Guinevere before the line went dead. Uh, As the Pruitts tried in vain to save their slaved loved ones, uh, suffering severe burns in the process, like I said before, Rachel returned to her home and cleaned up. Rachel claimed that she incinerated her clothing and shoes in a burn pile. Tests performed on her um, bathroom 
following her August 2011 confession, confirmed the presence of blood and support of Rachel's account of the whole night. The day after the killings, Rachel broke the blade of the murder weapon, the kitchen knife that, like I said before, um, into about 20 pieces, scattered the metal scraps in the woods behind her house. She burned the knife's wooden handle in the same pile she used to destroy her clothing. Uh, Investigators were unable to recover any remnants of Rachel's shoes, her clothing, or the knife handle. She would claim that the metal shank underneath uh, would not burn and she could not cut it into pieces as she had done with the blade and that she took the metal piece and just like buried it underneath a log in the woods near her home. She just spends a lot of time in the woods, which I don't blame her, but, you know, I don't know. Kind of whatever. A week after the murders, murders, she returned with soap and water to the crime scene under cover of darkness. She cleaned the fence rail that she had jumped the week before. She says that she returned to sanitize the fence because she worried blood from a cut she got during the stabbings might be discovered on the fence, allowing authorities to identify her as the family's killer. Investigators photographed the scar left on her left forearm as well as one on uh, one of her knuckles. A note in documents uh, chronicling Rachel's August 12, 2011 confession indicates that the Bowie County Sheriff's Office received a Crime Stoppers tip from a California phone number on July 14, 2011, about a month after the murders, identifying Rachel Pittman as the killer. Ironically, the caller provided details similar to those Rachel gave during her confession, but the tip wasn't considered as a high-priority lead. Which, first of all, why didn't you just look into it? If you just looked into it, you could have realized, oh, this girl was a babysitter. Maybe we should just think about it. Oddly enough, it would come to light that Rachel attests that she uh, killed the family because she believed it was what an adult friend wanted her to do. This adult friend, a woman, had moved to another state five or six months before the murders. Uh, The woman in her mid-30s had supposedly, allegedly, whatever, had once lived with Rachel's grandmother in a house near the Pittman's home and the Doss's home on FM 991. The woman had also supposedly lived with her boyfriend in a rental house in the same neighborhood. Rachel had a close relationship with the woman who told investigators, like a real woman actually tells investigators that she thought of her as a little sister and that she and Rachel often spent time together at Amanda's home. Rachel then tells investigators that she wanted to actually wait to kill Amanda on a night that the children were not home but that her perception of her friends and patience for her to act led the murders of all th- led to the murders of all three of the victims. Reports from experts concerning Rachel's mental state described her as a teen descending into psychosis and of suffering from the onset symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. While Rachel believed her friend wanted her to kill Amanda, the belief was grounded in delusional and revelational thinking, not reality, according to multiple reports from mental health experts who evaluated her. Quote, although it it is evident she was aware of her conduct, she was aware her conduct was wrong and took steps to avoid detection, i.e. cleaning the fence, yada yada, burying the weapon. Her delusional religious beliefs, delusional delusions of reference and beliefs in confirmations from benign events and statements led her to believe not only that her conduct was wrong, but that it was the right thing to do, an expert report states. So she's aware that what she's doing is wrong, but because of 
her convictions from a religious higher power, she still thinks that regardless that if it's wrong, that it's wrong, it's still the right thing to do to kill these people. A second expert described her as taking uh, special meaning from innocuous statements, basically the same thing as the other person said. Rachel reportedly drew her own delusional conclusions from statements on the television, billboards, or from conversations unrelated to her. One expert report notes that Rachel reported hearing snakes talking like demons and seeing ghosts. Additionally, after the offenses, she reported seeing a pink cloud that she believed were the souls of the three victims, and she was apparently motivated to confess by a deepening commitment to religion. As her case proceeded to trial, lawyers filed notice of their intent to plead insanity on Rachel's behalf. One lawyer says, quote, the verdict form says, quote, not guilty by reason of insanity. It doesn't say, quote, guilty but mentally ill. We've talked about this before, how we wish there was that thing of that they could plead a certain direction of like, no, I know that I did it, but I'm crazy, not just I, I didn't do it because I'm crazy. There's a difference, you know? Yeah. So in the end, Rachel Pittman was indicted for capital murder in the deaths of Amanda and Guinevere, and then for first-degree murder for Texas's death. She pleaded guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. She was never eligible for the death penalty because of her age, you know, which was 16 at the time of the murders. Rachel was uh, tearful on the stand, answering questions before sentencing, explaining that she did not agree at first to the, you know, plea deal, if you will, of pleading a certain way for these two and then another for the for Texas's, but changed her mind after seeing photos of the victims, which shows a little bit of humanity, remorse or whatever. Yeah. So we'll get into her behavior a little bit. Um, so while in jail in Texarkana, before her trial and sentencing, her behavior kind of concerned authorities. So she was put in a juvenile detention facility um, before she was kind of certified to face charges as an adult. And she is quoted to be seen being very disrespectful, disrespectful to staff and may have had an unhealthy influence on other juvenile detainees, according to some court documents. She has a following in detention where she walks around and talks about God, God's forgiveness in a distorted manner. So she, she basically kind of has like this group of girls that kind of follows her around. Okay. And she's, she's like a little baby cult leader, essentially. When uh, spoken to about her behavior in juvenile detention, her attitude, quote, went from fairly pleasant to stone cold. When in the Bi-State Justice Building jail, Rachel fought with other inmates and tampered with the lock on her cell door. She allegedly ran down a hallway, passing a guard before attacking an inmate uh, performing work in a laundry room. She allegedly knocked out the inmate's tooth and then uh, pepper spray had to be used to bring her under control. So she's not. Great. Not well. No. Yeah, right. uh, Rachel allegedly fought with uh, a number of different inmates regularly while in common area in the jail. She stuffed paper into her cell door lock so she could open it at will. She also left her cell during a time she uh, wasn't. She was supposed to be confined, and then she went and like unplugged television, which I didn't think was a big deal, but like still not great. Uh, February 2012, she used a blade from a hand pencil sharpener to crop her hair. So one of her mugshots. Uh, one of her like I guess yearbook photos she has like a decent length of hair her other like mugshot is shorter and then like during trial it's like super like that moment in that movie where Natalie Portman buzzes her hair off like it's just like that kind of situation like it's short as shit yeah notes in one of her mental evaluation state Rachel cut her long hair because she feared another inmate might use it against her in a fight 
so that's her stint in jail uh, and her behavior therein. And then on January 11th, 2013, Rachel Pittman, now almost 19 at the time, was found guilty on two counts of murder and was given two life sentences with the possibility of parole after 30 years. But she cannot appeal her sentence. She is currently at the hobby unit and she is eligible for parole on August 12th, 2041. One of her lawyers said, quote, Rachel should receive treatment, including antipsychotics, while in prison. I just kind of wanted to end it on that because I think it's pretty laughable. Yeah, should. Right. She should in a perfect world. Right. A little bit about the victims. I know that was very short, but I will go into the people that are most important here. And we'll go into uh, questions and theories about her uh, mental state. Amanda Louise Doss was born August, 12, uh, August 21st, sorry, 1976 in Muskogee, Oklahoma. She was a member of First Baptist Church in Wake Village, Texas, and was a computer analyst. She was buried in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Guinevere Eileen Doss was born August 4th, 1999 in Texarkana, Texas. She attended Redwater Middle School. She was active in Awanas. She was also a Girl Scout. She was a part of the school band, active in dance, and was a member of the Texas Youth Leadership Council. She was buried in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Texas Mitchell Johnson was born on May 6, 2003 in Texarkana, Texas, and was killed less than a week after his eighth birthday. He attended Redwater Elementary School, and he was also active in Awanas and Boy Scouts. He was buried in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. So before questions and theories, I want to read some quotes from Amanda's parents. I found this last minute um, a uh, newspaper article that kind of uh, mentioned this stuff. So I want to bring it up. In a victim impact statement, Wanda Pruitt says about her granddaughter, quote, her skin had peeled open from the heat. When I tried to lift her up, her skin peeled off under my fingernails. She claims she can still smell the burning flesh and held out her arms to show the scars she had from her own burns received that night. She reminded Rachel that she will never be able to erase the memory of finding her daughter in a pool of blood engulfed in flames. Quote, do you know how small a coffin is needed when a child is only eight years old? There was no way to embalm him because his body was so badly burned. They scorned Rachel for taking away such a giving woman and her children. Amanda had evidently paid Rachel to clean her house so she'd have extra money. She'd let her stay at her home when she'd run away from her home. And she was always invited there for holiday functions for multiple years. Wanda and Glenn stated, quote, evil walked into Amanda's house, evil disguised as a friend. Now she is shackled like the monstrous animal she is. You, Rachel, took the joy out of living. I'm glad I found that stuff because it really shows that this situation was absolutely awful. And this girl isn't some innocent 16 year old as we can go into talking about. Um, my theory, I really have one theory and one question. So my theory is, um, Amanda is clearly a nice woman. She's taking care of this girl who doesn't have it easy. Problems at home, problems at school, problems, you know, she needs money, whatever. So she enters the home with some sob story or excuse claiming that she needs Amanda's advice or help, you know, the night that she gets killed. She gains her trust after, you know, talking for a little while, all's well, she pretends to leave. She stabs Amanda first, kills her because, you know, she's the one that she's speaking to. It's 3, 4 a.m. She knew the kids were there because she's always at the house. She's the babysitter. She's constantly there, as the parents have mentioned. 
Um, school maybe wasn't out. It was the beginning of May, so it wasn't really maybe summer yet, but she knew, you know, it's a Wednesday night. The kids are probably there. Um, so the whole, you know, bullshit thing of her wanting to kill Amanda only, I think right. is false. Yeah, like it, it, right. Um, I think that maybe she just goes into the kids' rooms, kills them, or possibly maybe they come downstairs because of all the commotion, and then she kills them. She douses the house in gasoline, lights it on fire. One of your maybe plays dead, waits for her to leave, and then calls her grandparents. This was all planned. Her alibi is decent because it's 3 a.m. Most people are asleep. So without any evidence, who's to say what happened? Right. I wonder who, who called from California. Right. I think that's fishy because, I mean, it, it should be mentioned somewhere. And if I didn't find it, then I didn't find it. But I'm wondering, did Rachel use someone's phone that had a California number? Did she go to California on summer break and use some phone and call and give a, you know, confession, a mild, you know, confession of, this is what I think. I think that she is a stone cold narcissist. And I think that she planned this out. Because she is absolutely batshit crazy. And she took advantage of a nice woman and her children. There was no friend. It's all in her head. And I think that she planned it out to a T. She knew to go back and take care of this stuff. And when it wasn't catching wind that she was the perpetrator, she made a fake phone call or had some person call and make a fake phone call. Right. And when that didn't still work, she confessed to her mom who then, you know, turned her in. She wasn't viewed as a threat. Exactly. She, no one More thought, oh, why would the babysitter? Mind. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know, again, if she did go to California or not. I don't know if that was ever proven. But, I right. mean, I think my biggest question was is that if Amanda was such this, you know, caring and great mother, why did she clearly let and let her around her children? If she could tell this girl isn't staying at her home, she's running away, she has, is having issues with her family, she's having issues with money. You know, your, your good heart and your, you know, sympathy can only go so far until you realize mother's intuition is usually pretty correct. There was, no. there was one part where I kind of cropped this out because I wasn't sure if it was correct or not, but it said that she burned her clothes, shoes and clothes in the fire pit, but it said that the fire pit was behind her mother's house. And then she went and cleaned up at her own house. And I didn't know if that was like a typo from the uh, publication right. of like getting it confused. But I didn't see anything differing otherwise that she was living on her own at 16, probably not, or another relative. So I'm wondering if that was the case, if she was living on her own or she was homeless or whatever, and she did go to a burn pit behind her mom's, was that in an attempt to pin evidence on her mother? You know what I mean? To plant something there? I mean, I don't know. But like why even put evidence in the realm of someone that you're related to? Yeah. You know? But again, she's walking down the street at 3 a.m. Who's going to see her? Probably no one, but it just takes one person. Yep. Obviously, that didn't happen. Yeah, for her. But I mean, I think she's absolutely guilty. And yes. the picture of her, she looks like Kristen Stewart. Yeah. She looks really terrifyingly beautiful, yeah. but like evil. So I think that if she was tried as a juvenile, she would have gotten crap. Okay. She would have been given a slap on the wrist. So if she was tried in as adult, but given special sentencing, basically because she committed murder, capital murder, if she was fully tried as an adult, she would have been eligible for the death penalty. And that was their only sort of condition was that, yeah, we're going to convict you of capital murder, but we won't make you eligible for this. But we're, 
we're going to make sure that you get a good decent time in prison because of the heinous acts that you did. And because you weren't 11, you were close enough, especially by the time trial started. She was 18, 19 years old. So, I mean, it was clearly premeditated. Clearly she did it. She confessed to it twice. And I'm grateful for that kind of stuff because it's like these teenagers that do this stuff don't need to just be given a slap on the wrist and put in a juvenile detention center and run rampant and, and beat up people. You need to be put in prison because you were close enough as an adult. And I get it. Give them a chance. Give them that 30 years before parole because you just never know that someone might be able to turn their life around. And it was a stupid mistake when they were 16. But did she get treatment? Was she given medication? Who knows? Yeah. We don't know. But highly doubtful. I can see having more leniency if she was, you know, 13 or younger, but she yeah. was clearly very much very aware much, yeah. of what was happening. No one had to pull at anything to get her to confess. And that know. leads back to me thinking, did she live with her mom? You know, did, did they even have a good relationship? Was she living on her own? Yeah. Because even shitty parents can be shitty parents, but if you live with your parent, they can clearly tell as neglectful as they are if you're okay or not. Yeah. And if they can tell if you're spending more time over here and vice versa, you know, Amanda isn't dumb. She could have had the conversation with Rachel and said, what's your home life like? What's happening? And if she didn't think it was okay, she wouldn't have probably had her keep coming over. You know what I mean? If she thought, okay, she just wants to earn some money. Everything's fine. But if she was clearly having some issues and she was homeless and she was struggling with this, that and the other, I don't think Amanda would have just let this go on. I think she would have tried to maybe reach out and try and get her some help or reach out to her parents and say, your daughter is doing this, that and the other what's going on so i mean i read uh the part of the the article on the newspaper thing said that amanda like traveled over to washington dc to like donate a kidney like she was a really good person she's not just like a blowhard of like i'm gonna give you positive advice and it's fine she was a good lady so for rachel to take advantage of someone who gave her comfort and shelter and advice and you know money for years evil bitch You can see it in her face. Yeah, like. Which, again, like I keep saying, goes back to me thinking that she didn't live with her mother because her mother was like, no, no, no. I can't handle this child. I'm not sure her dad isn't mentioned. I don't know anything about Rachel's upbringing, her history, and that would be interesting to find out. Um, I feel like that would answer a lot of questions that we have and, like, why this happened and more details about their relationship between Rachel and Amanda and, like, what even how they met. And, you know, if this if this woman that I don't think existed, if it was a real person, I feel like the police would have. Right. And it would have become a thing and she would have testified and it would have it wouldn't have just been like, oh, we investigated it and it's fine. No, they she would have been mentioned by name at some point. So I don't think it personally, I don't think that it was a thing because that's something that you would really probably want to nail down, especially because she could have been an accomplice to this whole thing, not just a, you know, influencer. So. I don't know what to think of this girl. She sounds very troubled, and it was a completely senseless act of of murder. I mean, innocent, innocent lives. Don't have a babysitter. Don't have kids. <laughs> just kidding. That was mine. It's your turn. All right. So this week, I am covering the murder of Cindy Roundsville out of Houston, Texas. So we'll just go straight into it. Cool. Cindy Renee Roundsville, daughter of a Tulsa, Oklahoma orthopedic surgeon, was an architecture student at Rice University in Houston, Texas. In 1986, she was engaged, 25 and two weeks away from graduating with her second degree from Rice. 
Her bright, exciting future was stolen from her on the evening of April 21, 1986. As Cindy walked from her apartment building to her car on this Monday evening, she was spotted by John Barefield and Ernest Saunier. Saunier. You think you got a lot of like barefoot jokes growing up? Probably. <laughs> I absolutely. Hope so. I was making those in my head the whole time <laughs> writing good. this. Me too. Um, both of whom were cruising the area, kind of just looking for trouble, looking for something to get into. The two were followed by Barefield's brother in a second car. All three were involved in gang activity. Um, John Barefield was said to be the leader of this gang. I'm not sure what gang specifically. I couldn't find that. Um, it probably wasn't real because they're lame as shit. Probably. But they were all fucking thugs. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided that Cindy would be the target of their violence. Um, they approached her on foot, Ernest and John, and forced her into her own vehicle at gunpoint. Barefield drove while Sonnier held Cindy in the back seat and Barefield's younger brother followed in the vehicle behind them. They drove Cindy to an ATM and forced her to withdraw all the money from her account. Get ready. A whole 70 fucking dollars. Ew. They also stole her Rice University class ring and her engagement ring. They forced her back into her vehicle and drove her to a darkened street in a remote area. Barefield, Saunier, and Barefield's brother each took turns violently raping Cindy in the backseat of her car. They, after discussion, figured they might as well. Might as well what? Rape her. After they robbed her? Yeah, after they robbed her because she had seen their faces. So Did they, they even attempt well. to cover up their face? No, they did not. Yeah. All right. So after they finished assaulting her, the three scumbags discussed their next steps outside of the vehicle. Fucking Badass, astoundingly strong Cindy took this opportunity to flee. Um, she began running for her life through an adjacent field, um, half-clothed. Barefield chased after her and fired a shot that hit the left side of Cindy's head. This caused her to uh, fall to the ground, and as she was on her hands and knees, he realized that it had been a non-fatal shot. He then shot Cindy a second time at close range, execution style, um, near the right side of the back of her head. They then left the partially clothed 25-year-old to die alone in the field. Dr. Joseph, um, Jackiz, Jackiz, oh, this is the, this is the one it, I can't spell. Files. Yeah. It's all the way around. So Dr. Joseph, J-A-C-H-I-M, C-Z-Y-K, because Cassie can't read. Dr. J. Dr. J. <laughs> A Harris County medical examiner testified that the second bullet destroyed a major portion of Cindy's brain, causing her death in just a few minutes. So that's a little bit of a silver lining for this horrible ending to her life. You know, at least she wasn't suffering. But minutes, that could be suffering. I mean, yeah. He didn't say it instantly killed her. Right. Regardless. A few minutes probably felt like a few years. (laughs) Forever. yeah. Yeah. Cindy was found the next morning by a city mower operator. Bearfield drove Cindy's vehicle that evening to another field. I can't take his name too. I know. Bearfield, like what the fuck? (laughs) Um, He set Cindy's vehicle ablaze. And then the three fled in uh, the younger brother's car. So the next month, Bearfield was arrested for an unrelated charge. Um, Cindy's body had been found and they didn't have any leads. Um, They had no motive. As we Mm -hmm. know, this was a random act of violence. Um, so when Bearfield was arrested for this unrelated charge, he was not only in possession of the twenty-two caliber p- 
pistol used oh. to murder Cindy, but also in possession of her graduation ring. Dumb fuck. Yep. He kept the trophy fucking on him. Thank goodness. Yeah, really. John Bearfield was questioned and immediately confessed to Cindy's abduction, robbery, rape, and murder. The then 22-year-old career criminal. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. 22. How can you say career criminal when you're 22? He started, um, he had a record and served three years in prison or in jail in Louisiana for robbery. So he started when he was 16. He had an eighth grade education. He was tried and convicted of Cindy's murder and sentenced to death. His younger brother. Yeah. Sentenced to death. I mean, cool. Yeah. All right. He appealed this. um, I believe there were six or seven appeals the normal roundabout mm. you know like death is uncool and unusual crap, yeah. exactly um was it because of the gun matched up yeah the gun yeah. matched up and then he had a ring and yeah there was nothing evidence there i mean yeah. but still you could say i got it at a pawn shop i don't know right. what you're talking about but, but he okay. also he confessed and confessed yeah. to her violent rape so i'm sure that like why even why even commit the crime if you're just n- not that don't do this why commit the crime if you're just going to confess to it? In my mind, it's kind of silly. Like, you're this badass gangbanger. Like, apparently, I read somewhere that this was, he had been um, prowling and raping women for the past, like, three to six months. And that was part of his, like, gang violence bullshit, whatever. So, AKA, he had a small penis. Probably 100%. For sure. <laughs> um, so, they might have just had so much on him. I, I don't know fucking he rolled on himself real quick though yeah but, um, definitely like you didn't even try didn't which even is try. great which, which is, is so great, great. i'm not yeah. complaining but it's just so funny to me like don't just don't even do it yeah if you think you if i got questioned i'm just gonna confess to it just just don't just spare, don't do it spare a life spare a rape yeah you know you know just don't just, don't. just uh That's yeah fine. just don't get really deep into like some weird fucked up porn yeah or just beat off to it you know like Go do yoga. Yeah. You know? That would make everything like better. Else. Just have an icy, have a beer. Maybe not have a beer because you're probably violent when you're drunk. Okay, yep, anyways. Yep. So his younger brother, Perry, uh, received 45 years for aggravated robbery, which I think is really good because Perry. he, Perry, Perry, Perry Bearfield. Perry, Perry oh, Bearfield. This is a serious, serious podcast. But everyone. we can make fun of these fucking all we pussies. we do is make fun of the names. Yep. Um, I think it's good that he got 45 years. Absolutely. Um, he raped her. And he, he drove the car, right? And he drove the car, but he wasn't directly involved in, in the kidnapping her. or the shooting. You know, like he just followed behind. You were still and then there. Raped. You're guilty by there. association. Exactly. You which is why. You try to stop it. Go fuck yourself. 45 yeah. is fucking great. No, no, no. I'm not sure if there were possibility of parole or what amount of the sentence he had to. Um, I couldn't find that. That he actually did serve. Right. Yeah. Um, Ernest Sonnier. Sonnier was sentenced to life for the unrelated aggravated kidnapping of another young Houston area woman. So fucking piece of shit. Um, So it was kind of almost lucky that these guys were career criminals Mm -hmm. because they each got fucking put down for something at least very shortly after this. I'm surprised they even got to be career criminals with how lax they were in trying to either cover up what they did or deny what they did right they i mean they're obviously not I mean, great john got an eighth grade education so wasn't educated wasn't very resourceful they were just life of crime that's what they did this is how you don't lie mm-hmm. that was in ninth grade he didn't get there nope didn't get there <laughs> didn't get that diploma <laughs> or this is how you lie no so way. john Bearfield, uh 
pretty quickly exhausted his appeals, like I said, and was executed by way of lethal injection on March 12, 1997. Betty Roundsville, Cindy's mother, said, We don't get any joy whatsoever out of him dying. It's a lot easier for him than what Cindy went through. Definitely. Yeah. So this is a really short one. Um, I thought about not doing it, but then I decided that I really wanted to talk about Cindy just because... It's probably never been talked about. Her picture is nowhere. Um, I found a picture of her headstone. I found this one quote from her mother, and, you know, it was done in the late 80s, so that was before the internet and everything, but it's just something that was chalked up to what I saw most articles about were gang leader, gang violence, you know, gang whatever was put down almost as like a hooray, we got this guy off the streets, not at like she was not, almost she a footnote right, in right, the, sure. yeah. As they all are. Right. So definitely wanted to talk about her. Um, I don't really have many questions and theories. I would like to know what gang they were affiliated in, what they were, you know. If it was anything notable, then police would have probably mentioned it. It would have it. been on there, yeah. yeah. I want to know if they were already on the police's radar, which is why they all got picked up so quickly afterwards. Like, they obviously weren't smart yeah, people. Yeah, that's a good point. But it was pretty quick, and there was no yeah. evidence. And police might have known they had violent tendencies, and so maybe that's Look why they cracked guys so on the quickly. And right. This is where they hang out. Yeah. And it's I, just so scary, because she was in her own apartment complex like she was walking to her car right. she got to her car and they held her up and forced her into her own vehicle like i mean she had nothing to defend herself with thank god these guys were stupid because this was the day and age of when dna wasn't a thing no so thank she could have been another name on a list yep. that has yet to be solved exactly so praise the lord that these guys are stupid as hell that yeah. they can't figure out how to you know evade the cops or whatever mm -hmm. but i mean yeah i'm very glad that you told this story because it is you know air quotes, basic or simple or it's happened to everyone or it's happened yeah. to a million women or men. But I mean, this is a thing, regardless yeah. of if they were involved in real gang activity, they were still as violent and as terrible as any gang could yeah. be. I mean, maybe not, but they still did this kind yeah. of thing, supposedly they according to them for on months women. before. Yeah. Disgusting. Innocent women. Yeah. Walking to their car. And I, I don't know. Terrifying. How many of our listeners are familiar with Houston or based out of Houston? I work a lot in the Rice University area, mm -hmm. and I know this is, you know, well over 30 nice years ago. But Rice, yeah, Rice is fucking nice. And the area surrounding it, they're very, very wealthy people. Well, and I mean, in the 80s, that's where the wealth started. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just grown. So, mm -hmm. it was nice back then, too. Like, we know someone who was shot in a drive-by near U of H. That makes a little more sense. U of H is in, I think, the fourth ward, fourth or fifth. I can't remember. Um, and so it's like, yeah, that's that's a little bit lower income, which unfortunately sometimes correlates to more crime. So it's like the only thing you can take away from this is always fucking keep an eye out. Like you never know when someone's going to be cruising around looking for someone to just fucking hurt. Well, and maybe that's how they caught them because they were so out of place. Yeah. They were in a nicer neighborhood that's and people true. thought, who were these people or right. you know what I mean? Just that's by true. process of elimination of seeing people or something or interviewing Which is others. unfortunate because it's like racial profiling for sure. Tea, but in this case, if that it did happen, it, out yeah, they sure. were the guys who did yeah. it. Yeah. Ugh. Were yeah. they they were African American? Um, John was. I could not find pictures of the other two. Um, I'm assuming his brother was as well. Well, it's eighty six. Someone take a fucking picture of these victims and these offenders. Come I know. on. I know. Good God. Something. 
Sorry. That was annoying. I'm just sick of not seeing who did and suffered from what. Yeah. I want to know more about, I want to know more about the victim. I want to know, like, we want to make a connection with them because that's what should happen. We shouldn't know more about the offender than who passed away. Like, that family is just holding on to this for the rest of their life. And no one, like, tiny little podcasts like us can't even give the victim a a proper recognition. Yeah, it's just, it sucks. I wonder if, like, I wonder what her apartment uh, complex kind of setup was. You know, did they... Was there a gate? You know, yeah, it was 86, but did they know this is a richer neighborhood or whatever? Or did they just mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to go drive through here and see what happens? Yeah, like I wonder did they how stalk close her? she was. Did they know that, you know, I don't know. Did they know this was more frequented by students, single right. students? Yeah. You know, unmarried, whatever, was it by student themselves. Housing? Right. Was it housing outside of the campus? For sure. Was it housing, I mean, it like... was her second degree. So normally student housing would be more, you know, undergraduate type situation. Right. But still, it could be a on-campus apartment whatever yeah um so i wonder if they knew that this would be a good place to go hunting for mm-hmm. for females and it's just ugh. is it scary because you can it could be any of us yeah you could say all you want like oh try to pick apartment complexes that have security and shit i've never once lived in an apartment that had security cool. after you're dead cameras. then they can catch them on the camera that probably exactly. wasn't running yeah Great. the apartments i live in right now that fucking by the exit gate that area is so dark yeah anyone could be anywhere like i'm every time i walk my dog over there after dark it's that someone could easily jump over the fence and shoot me and rob me or whatever like it's just just be aware i guess i don't know fucking poor cindy fuck you john fuck you Ernest, and fuck you perry the most terrifying thing ever is to be raped in my mind absolutely yeah i would rather be shot than raped i think so too so I, I don't I, I that's to and then on top of that yeah rape know, survivors guys to me just, are like the strongest people absolutely. I don't yeah. know if I could find that amount of strength I would hope that I could but she tried to fucking run the people that 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 go on to have families yeah. and, and this sounds weird but to have sex again mm-hmm. and be able to have a meaningful relationship and marriage and children and things like that that that's on top of the fact of just being strong that's yeah moving forward yeah it's you know so admirable yeah it really admirable. is admirable. admirable no it's admirable admirable all right Yay. i'm on a lot of day quill everybody <laughs> but yes on all fours crawling through a field and you get shot in the head twice you're a real shitty guy yep if you if, okay <laughs> just know if you are in that situation and your person doesn't have a mask on Sorry, but you're going to die. You're, yeah, so you need to Sorry do to spoil it for you, but you can to fucking get away or to remember everything about yeah. them. Cuz if they don't have, yeah. I was thinking about that. What was I listening to today? I Taken, the movie Taken. No. <laughs> the fucking your last survivor story. Oh. Yeah, where I I could I didn't oh my remember. God. I have uh, a uh, fan someone yeah. knew my story. Uh. We just both hair flip like eight We times. did. It was great. It was gross. But it was a great job by the way. Thank you so much. But I did not realize um you probably said it and Guy will probably distracted me that he had a mask the whole time cuz mm-hmm. I was like his fucking plan was probably to kill them from the get go. Why didn't he just do it? But he had a mask. Well, and it was really funny to me that. Is that it was, they said it was a knitted mask. It wasn't like a, what, a balaclava, whatever. What? So like that? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Yeah. So I was like, did, you, did his mom do it? Right. You know, did his grandma knit that for him? Honey, I have you did a new he ski do it? mask. <laughs> Where's the mountain in Texas? <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway. 
Uh, but yeah, that is uh, that is the end of that. Any human with the anatomical parts of a male can just goodbye. Yeah, I was about to say except Guy and Kane, but they're not humans. Yeah, but babies, and they don't so they have are. testicles, so it's okay. Oh, that's true. That's true. Actually, yeah, the testicles are probably the source of most right. of the anger. Yeah. So let's just castrate all the males. True. I mean, women are so far superior. We're gonna just cut this off. Yeah, it's fine. Um, let me pull up how we're supposed to close out this oh, podcast. Yes. Glad you did that. <laughs> um, we guys, we that was good. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed those episodes. Honestly, though, because yes. That was a really, really sad story about Cindy, and it probably has never been talked about. And when it was, it was probably back in 1986. So I'm yeah. glad that we got to speak about her. And I'm glad you told us about Amanda and Guinevere mm-hmm. in Texas, because that's really fucking tragic. They, they were murdered I bet, by someone they trusted. I wonder if he got made fun of for being named Texas in Texas from Texarkana. Probably. But then everyone felt suck. really bad because he was murdered. Probably. I hope that they still feel bad today. Yep. I feel bad for bringing it up. A little kid named Tex, like that's super. He was really cute, except Tex Watson though wasn't. Who's Tex Watson? Um, he was part of the Manson family. He's the one who killed Sharon Tate. Oh, again, I don't like cults, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's true. That's true. (laughs) All right. So, guys, um, uh, say it however. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't reading the right shit. We're fine. Everything's okay. So that'll wrap up episode twenty-eight. Cool. Yeah, it's twenty-eight. All right. Cool. Math is hard. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, don't forget our event at the end of the month here in Houston on Wednesday, the twenty seventh at seven p.m. The toast is at eight. Um, go to our Facebook for more information on it. But it's at Market Bar, sponsored by us and Rar and Sons Brewing. So please come buy, donate to Joyful Heart Foundation while you're there, and buy yes. our fucking stickers because we feel so alone and sad. <laughs> We're not appreciated. It's fine. As usual, our sources and where to reach us through email and social media, all that stuff will be put in the show notes as well as where to donate to the podcast via PayPal. It's a thing. You can do that. Like if you have an extra 25 cents, just like throw it our way. That's all. Like literally we will freak out so much over a quarter. And we don't care if we sound stupid and or desperate. Yeah. Goodbye. We work pretty hard on this. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> we just sat for an hour and a half before we started. We did, but it was yeah. great. Yeah, it was good. good. It was needed. Um, but we'll be back next week with more Texas true crime, y'all. And oh, and together, together now. And if, and if anyone's, anyone's listening, listening, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I let you say it with me. <laughs>